Welcome back to Service to School Stories. I'm your host, Sydney Mathis, Director of Student Success here at Service to School. As a former college admissions officer and the spouse of an active duty service member, I'm excited to dig into topics within the higher education landscape as it relates to veterans and transitioning service members. Let's dig in. All right, welcome back everyone. Our conversation today is all about standardized testing, mainly focusing on the SAT and the ACT for undergraduate applicants. I'm joined by my colleagues, Ryan Riccardi, the Associate Dean of Admissions at Bowdoin, where they have been test optional since 1969, and Ben Toll, the Dean of Admissions at George Washington University, where they have been test optional since August of 2015. I invited our two guests to join us for a conversation around reviewing applicants in the test optional landscape. However, I want to bring our listeners up to speed on where we're at in terms of testing in the undergraduate admissions world. Pre-COVID, test optional was slowly gaining traction, but with the closing of schools and testing centers with the COVID pandemic, the number of colleges who moved to a test optional admissions review process grew exponentially. Honestly, it kind of felt like it all happened overnight. Even now, as we settle back into in-person school and testing centers are starting to open back up, some admissions offices across the country have decided to remain test optional or have even implemented a test-free policy. With this has provided some opportunities for students to test, I'm still often asked by our service member applicants, should I test? And if I don't test, what are some other parts of my application that the admissions committee will consider important? While I can certainly answer those questions, I thought it'd be a fun conversation to have with some of my colleagues who have been doing test optional work now for years. Uh, Ryan, Ben, thanks for joining us this morning. I know some of our listeners are anxiously waiting for you to tell them that they don't have to test. Um, But first, I want to give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves and share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what has brought you to essentially this conversation we're having today. So Ryan, Ben, thank you so much. Ryan, we'll start the conversation with you. Great. Thank you so much for having us. I'm very excited to be here. Talking about test optional is actually one of my favorite things, favorite parts of the job. Um, In terms of how I got to Bowdoin and admissions, I'm actually a Bowdoin alumna. um, And I didn't go after graduation straight into admissions. I was a classics and archaeology and anthropology person at um, Bowdoin College. And then I went to graduate school and I got my degree in Roman archaeology, and I came back to Bowdoin as a professor, and I spent some time teaching in the classroom for a while um, before deciding I wanted different views on higher education because my view had been really narrow up to that point, just very student classroom centered. And I realized there was so much more to this landscape than I understood. Um, So I started looking around at possibilities and there was a job in the admissions office and I transitioned over and I've been working in admissions for the last 10 years. Um, I got interested and invited into the veteran space because my husband is a Navy um, enlisted CTI. I should know these things by now. Um, And so thinking about access to education in particular in the enlisted world and in a veteran capacity and thinking about how Bowdoin is um, a really great place to thrive as someone who is already service oriented um, has been a really fun part of my job that I've been um, contemplating and investing in for the last four or five years. Sure. Thanks for that introduction. Ben, how about you? Well, hi, everyone. Happy to be a part of this conversation. Um, 
So my story is not nearly as interesting as Ryan's um, as I um, graduated from college and less than a month later moved into an admissions role. Um, and I've worked at three different institutions, two public, one private. Um, and I've been at GW for the last um, 10 or so years um, and, and happy to be a part of this conversation because I think as we start talking about test optional, you know, I think our veterans population is one that perhaps people don't think of um, immediately when they think about the implications of test optional policy, but I think it's actually a, a perfect use case, right? And, and due to our location right in the center of Washington, DC, you know, we have a lot of both active duty military that are doing their education while they're in this in their service, but also a lot of veterans who then transition out and are based in DC because of previously being stationed there and such. And so, you know, oftentimes we're, we're having these counseling conversations about how to help students best prepare their application package. And, you know, that's a different conversation when you've been active duty for five, seven years and things of that nature. Absolutely. And the reason why I think our conversation today is so important to have you both on the call is that both of your institutions were test optional pre-COVID. Uh, so you've been reviewing applications for years now, um, you know, the buzzword holistically, but truly being able to share insight with our listeners about what are some other aspects of the, you know, admissions application that you all focus on, should they not decide to submit test scores? And then, you know, the reverse of that, um, what do you think, especially our student population, typically adult learners or transfer students, for the student who wants to submit a test score, what are your thoughts around, you know, a strong test score, or, you know, when should I submit, when should I not submit? So, um, Ben, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's it's important to think about what is the goal of the admissions process, right? And and so, you know, we're trying to look at indicators that give us confidence that a student will be academic, academically successful at our institution, right? And so if you look at a student who's perhaps leaving high school um, and going directly into college, right, we're going to have a transcript, we're going to have letters of recommendation, um, and, you know, perhaps historically we would have had test scores and we may still have them today. Um, but as you look at the situation with test optional, one of the things that we were finding was that a lot of students were looking at statistics online, trying to do their homework, and they'd find these ranges or averages and they would say, oh, well, I'm not there. And they would just opt out. Right. And I think what you're going to hear from both myself and also Ryan is that our schools forget about test optional right? Whether you are test optional test or not, the test score was never driving the decision by itself. And, and when we are out talking to students, whether students come to visit us, or we see them at a college fair, or we see them at a high school, um, you know, we're able to add that nuance and help provide some coaching and, and things of that nature and say like, oh, well, if, you know, if your test score is a little bit lower, um, you know, here are things that you could do to try to, you know, elevate different parts of your application. But the reality is we can't touch everybody, right? We, we can't visit every high school in the country. We can't have everybody visit us and, and speak to us one-on-one. -on -one. And you know, if, if you're stationed overseas or somewhere else, I mean, it's just not a possibility. And so one of the things that motivated our, our decision to go test optional is that we saw students who were opting out of the application because of their perception but not perhaps the reality. And had we gotten that application, we would have been able to work with it to find a way to get to admit. And so, I mean, I think for us, it's about trying to understand and, and give a really clear signal out there to the world 
that we want to look at your application. We want to investigate all the different pieces and such so that we can get to that place to make an informed decision. And if you look at a statistic online and say, oh, well, I'm just not going to waste my time. Well, you're cutting yourself short and you're not giving us the opportunity to do that, what we truly call that holistic work to get into all the nooks and crannies. Um, I do think, you know, to your, your direct question about, well, how do we make decisions differently? You have to think about your application, you know, as a pie, right? And let's say in that pie, you know, I'm going to make some general numbers and these are just, you know, for the sake of argument, but let's say if it's 60% the high school transcript, 20% your letters of recommendation, I'm doing math in my head to make sure I add up to hundred, another 20% um, of your, oh, that's no, that's going to have to hundred, another 10% of your essays and your activities and things of that nature. Well, that leaves maybe 10% for your testing. And if we go test optional, you know, basically that 10% gets absorbed by the other areas, right? Yeah. And actually puts more um, importance on your transcript, on your large recommendation, on your essay and such, um, and, and heightens those parts, right? And so I think one of the things that's helpful to understand is that when you apply test optional, sure, we're not going to use that one component, but it does mean that all the other parts have to shine brighter through the application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can I just add I Absolutely. like the pie metaphor but no one pie is ever sliced the same for any uh, for every applicant right mm -hmm. it's not that the essay always weights 20% or the letters of recommendation or the transcript always weight 25% of your pie I also will not do quick math <laughs> um but I, I think that is the point of holistic is that everybody gets to express themselves and their strengths and the obstacles they've overcome in many different ways. And to put a really fine point on the idea of test scores and the sort of way they come into or factor into an application, I sort of, I'll, I sort of frame it this way and say um, that your test score will never be walking into a classroom at Bowdoin. Your test score isn't going to be a roommate or a, an athlete or a musician or a volunteer. Your test score is a moment in time and it's not your identity. And I think we are looking for people who have interesting ideas and perspectives that are going to add to experiences here. And people who are open to change and being curious and passionate. And that doesn't come through in a test score. A test yeah. score tells us how you take a test. And that skill is really a great one if you have it, but it isn't predictive of lifelong success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that you kind of both hit on is encouraging applicants not to self-select out because of that score, right? And I think a lot of, especially our student veteran applicants do, because that's kind of, you know, those are the requirements that are in front of them. And that's kind of what they are accustomed to is like, okay, I check these boxes and now, you know, I get to present this back to the admissions committee. But in reality, they're the ones that are giving their themselves that own no, instead of letting you all as the professionals be the ones to kind of work through that. And I think so much of what I get to do in my conversations is, encouraging applicants to have those conversations with you all and to ask those questions, you know, what are some other things I can be doing or going back to the pie, you know, what slices of the pie should I try and strengthen, which leads me into another question. A lot of our applicants have been out of the classroom for some time. 
they either enrolled in college and then, you know, went and enlisted or they, you know, went straight out of high school and now they're ready to start their um, college career. For the student who has a gap in that educational classroom experience, do you find that a strong test score there could be added value to the file or what would you prefer to see? Ryan, you kind of alluded to this a little bit. Yeah, I think a test score, to be honest, if you have a strong test score, we're going to look at it. Your test score is present. You've chosen to share it with us. Um, and I think that can show us that you've done the work to prepare for a test and that you have displayed some skills that can translate in certain areas. Quantitative reasoning is sort of one of the areas I always think about with tests. Um, but I think in terms of thinking about that, I sort of going back to Ben's point that that is not going to be the decision maker. And in thinking about other ways you can express strength, we ask for different pieces because there are lots of ways to express strength. And so thinking about really articulating why you have, or sorry, the skills that you've cultivated while you've been serving, why you, you are in the fields that you're in. Have you taken some community college classes? Are you, um, are you in a writing class? Are you taking a calculus class? Have you, um, you know, cultivated those quantitative reasoning or communication skills as part of your job? There are pieces of the application where you get to really express purpose and express um, skills that are just not captured by that test score. Um, so I don't know if I'm sort of like directly answering it. I bet Ben has a much more concise way of going at that answer. Um, but I think that we expect a gap in education for veterans. That's what we are trained to look for. And it's really great to hear from students, how student veterans, how they have filled that gap because it isn't going to be the same for everyone. Um, and there are lots of ways to articulate that you are prepared to, to thrive in our classrooms. I think there's also the acknowledgement that, you know, the application process is, and the tools by which you have to present yourself are imperfect, right? Um, especially, especially for the veterans population, right? You're gonna get, you're gonna do your common application and it's gonna start asking you questions about what activities do you have and what years of high school and how many weeks per year. And it's just not gonna make any sense to you. And, and that's okay. And know that we recognize that, right? We're using a tool that's, you know, used, you know, for hundreds of thousands, millions of applications worldwide. Um, and this is a unique population. And so therefore, you know, we are flexible and we are going to, you know, kind of empower you in different ways, right? And so, you know, when I think about the different components of your application, there are things that you control and things that are historical, right? So, your high school transcript exists. There is nothing you can do today to change that transcript. That's okay, right? And I think, you know, we're also going to have the acknowledgement that, you know, while we're going to look at that transcript and we're going to look at that performance, we also know that that's five, seven, 10 years old and perhaps no longer the best indicator of your success. You know, your personal statement is actually a great opportunity for you to kind of take control and be able to highlight and share the lessons of your service and how you think they will make you a strong contributor to our campus community. And, and one of the things that you do need to do 
is do some research about these institutions is figure out what are they looking for, right? Bowdoin and George Washington University, two different schools, two different purposes. And you're going to make that case in different ways based on the kind of the values that we externally communicate about what we're looking for, right? And that's a really a chance for you to say, you know, here's here's my piece of real estate to plant a flag and and kind of make make my case of why I deserve admission and, and what I've done that gives an admissions committee confidence that like, yeah, this student's going to come in here. They may not have been in the classroom, um, you know, for a number of years, but they have the skill sets to, to collaborate with, with other students, to succeed, to manage their time, all those sort of things. Um, and I think going to the question of, you know, should I send a score or not, I think really comes down to kind of what other opportunities do you have to give evidence to an admissions committee? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you haven't been in any formal classroom for a number of years, a recent test score is a piece of evidence, right? It may not be the best one, but it does exist. And it's something that they can start working around. What I would recommend to any student that, you know, I was having a meeting with is if you have the opportunity, whether it's online or in person to do some community college coursework, that is going to be 10 times more valuable, right? Because again, this whole process is for us to be able to figure out who do we think has the potential to succeed in our college classroom environment. Well, community college classes are a college classroom environment. And so if, if we can see one, two, three courses and see, see your performance there, it's going to give us so much more confidence, right? And so whether your test score is high, low, middle, whatever, that, that community college transcript is going to have so much more power in, in the review process. Now, that may not be possible, you know, for you to do, depending on what your location is, what your situation is. And that's why, you know, the, the answer is always going to be, it depends. It's always going to be nuanced and such. And if you aren't able to do that, you know, perhaps then sure, you know, a test score is going to help be a piece of recent evidence, but it perhaps isn't the best one, right? And I think I would always kind of direct students to look at what ability do they have to do some, you know, coursework at the college level to then indicate to institution, you know, you know that, that I've got this under my belt, right? And I have the ability to, to succeed in this environment. Yeah, I think, one thing, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, I just wanted to follow up because I think that that was great, obviously. Um, and I just wanted to add that two pieces, one that with your service to school advisor, you have this opportunity to really ask direct questions to say, this is my test score, what do you think? And it's their job, it's your advisor's job to really help you navigate which schools it might make sense for you to submit your test score to or not. You have this resource and you should absolutely use it. And then the second piece is that when those test scores exist, whether they are, as Ben said, high, medium or not, we understand, it's our job to understand that there is nuance in the score. Testing is biased towards a certain age, a certain population, a certain socioeconomic status. And so there is nuance in how we read the test score when it's present, let alone that decision of here are the numbers that they publish and should I or shouldn't I. When those test scores are present, we are still thinking about the person who took that test when they took it why they took it. And so it really is not a, 
um, it, it is at best a blunt instrument, not a finely uh, honed tool that we use. And I think that part, right, it's especially because you all are trained to review personal statements. You're trained to review resumes and, you know, letters of recommendation and to be able to pull important pieces of information from each of those tools, if you will. But I mean, not saying you all aren't trained to understand a test score, but you all didn't create the exam, right? So you all can look at a personal statement and be able to see personal qualities or traits in those individual applicants and be able to decide, you know, is this person a great fit for our community? Whereas, you know, a, a test score is an indicator of one day, and what can you really pull about that individual, you know, from a number, essentially. Um, I love being able to kind of explain, you know, what are some of the parts of the personal statement where we can highlight your story? How can we highlight who you are, you know, in some of the college classes that you might have access to taking? Um, but you're a little bit limited. And Ben, you talked to this earlier, you know, the parts of the admissions process that you can control ensure you can study for an SAT or an ACT for all hours of the night, but it's still just one day, right? Um, and I think being able to look at the process in a broader view to see how can you control other parts of the process. Because once the package goes to you all, right, like it's kind of out of their hands, but being able to do the thoughtful work and engage with the resources available to you and have conversations with you all on the ground about, you know, what are some parts of this process that I have control of and that I can strengthen that gives them, you know, control over the majority of the process. I um, often say that in the application process, there are three decisions and the applicant controls two of them. You decide where to apply and you decide where you go to school. And those are the biggest decisions. We can't read your application until you decide to apply. So I think the idea that you're out of control in this whole process is, to your point, um, absolutely something that you should let go of because this is your process and it's a time to really celebrate all the successes and it's a time to really think about what you want out of the future and be really um, clear with yourself where you think you will succeed and where you think you will not succeed. It is equally important information to know where your weaknesses are or where you're going to thrive. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing for colleges to know about you. When we admit people, we don't admit perfect people, but when we admit you, we're saying we have the resources to know that you're going to succeed here. And that's what's really important about your application is that we're building the picture of the whole person. And when you come to our schools, we're gonna make sure that you thrive. When you do your application process, if you do it really well, it's really about, you know, it's about reflection and building a portfolio going forward, right? And I think so many people approach it as a transactional process. They're asking me for these items. They gave me this essay prompt. They asked me these questions. I answered it. But, you know, similar to, let's say, if you're applying for a job, I don't always know what questions they're going to ask me but I know what I want them to walk away with knowing about me. And you kind of have to enter your application process with that same approach of, here's why I believe I'm a great candidate for this institution. And I then need to think about how do I make sure those three, four top skill sets, attributes, whatever it may be, how do I make sure they get across? Mm -hmm. And you know, when I, when I have this conversation with students, no matter what stage of life they're at, None of them say, I want them to know I'm a good test taker, right? <laughs> like, 
it's about the more personal characteristics. And, you know, at Bowdoin, at GW, we are building true communities, right? This, you know, education is not purely transactional. And we want our students to not only learn from our faculty, but from each other, right? And so your life experiences are valuable because they are part of everybody's education. And so, you know, you kind of have to step back and, and you know, none of us have ultimate time in our life, right? Um, but really, if you do it well, step back and think about what do I want those key takeaways to be? Let me start doing my application. Are all those takeaways represented? And if not, then I've got to think about, well, how do I go back and look at some of these questions or some of these statements or things of that nature to say, I got to make sure they know this thing about me. And those things are going to be important. They're going to be far more important than whether you get a 1260 or a 1280, because ultimately that di distinction makes no difference to us at all. Um, and, and I think, again, you know, those institutions that really truly invest in reading all different parts of the application, that's why they do it that way. It'd be so much simpler in our lives to set up formulas to run this process, but we don't think those formulas appropriately end up with the right decisions, right? Instead, we want to be involved in getting to know those stories. Um, and so, you know, take the time to think about what your key takeaways are. Take the time to ask your friends, what do they think the best attributes you could bring to an institution are, right? Because sometimes we're, we're a little bit too humble to go through this process. Um, and so just getting some outside opinions are, is valuable to make sure you then have a strategy to, to insert those things into your application portfolio. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, to pivot a little bit. So, okay, I'm, I've decided I'm not going to submit test scores. You know, I'm applying to, I don't know, business, for example, for the student who is saying, okay, well, I'm going to go take a couple classes at community college to show that I can do college level work. What are some of the types of classes that you all would encourage an applicant to take either in that first semester or a first year to show that academic um, aptitude? So I think, you know, you got to think about what are the core components of any college education, right? So writing might be a core component. Um, if you're looking at a program like business, you know that quantitative reasoning um, will be there, right? And as, as Ryan mentioned earlier, you can display that on the SAT, but you can also display that in coursework. And it might be something, to be quite honest, that if you've been out of the formal classroom for a while, you might need to brush those skills up, right? And so it might be valuable to, to take a course, maybe do a placement exam, figure out where's the right place for me today. Um, and let me build those skills up so that that's not a, a weakness of somebody in an admissions committee asking a question of like, well, are they do they have the math skills today to succeed in our classroom environment, right? You know, by taking that course, you have the ability to, you know, to put that away right then there say, oh, look, I, I took that course and here, here's my performance. Um, and we know that, I, and I think one of the things that's a little bit different between high school work and college work is that, you know, we're not exactly looking whether it's a A and A minus a B plus, we're looking at, I've completed it, right? I have the ability to perform um, in that. And so it's really about more uh, mastery of subject than the exact precise GPA that you may have gotten. Yeah. I would, I would echo all of that. Um, and I think it's also really important to think about what the schools you're applying to are asking and what types of schools those are. It is different to apply to a major than it is to apply to a liberal arts college where you can't declare your major 
as you apply. So thinking about what type of school will also help shape what type of classes you may want to take. And thinking about sort of how we review applications at Bowdoin and thinking probably similar at GW, we are looking to see exactly those skills that you've developed, not the grades, the outcome is less important to us than what skills you've developed. We're thinking about communication skills. Can you write a college paper? Are you going to be able to contribute to a discussion in a college classroom setting? Um, if you're interested in quantitative-based classes, are you prepared for, with calculus? Um, have you taken an algebra class? So it is very much tied to success in our classrooms and being able to predict that potential um, rather than the exact topic. You could take an anthropology class and get ready for writing a college paper. It doesn't have to be an English 101 class, but thinking about the skill sets that help you succeed in our classrooms, really what we're going for in those classes that we see on that transcript. For sure. And those same classes, I mean, you can get a great letter of recommendation, which also carries some weight in the process from taking some of those community college classes, right? And I think a lot of our applicants say, you know, will come and say, well, I don't know who to write this academic letter of recommendation, or I don't know how to, you know, ask my old supervisor for a letter of recommendation. Well, now is an opportunity for you to check two boxes, you know, have the potential to earn a letter of recommendation, but you also can show some of those skills through that academic coursework. Um, with that conversation around letters of recommendation, what are some other things that you think applicants can um, advise, I guess, around the letter of recommendation and how you all review those? So I'd start with, and I'm gonna kind of piggyback this on the prior conversation about, you know, which courses might you pursue at a community college? You know, oftentimes when you're picking those courses, you can see the section size and how many students will be in that class. So, it, you know, it might be valuable if you're gonna take, you know, two classes or so to pick one that's a little bit of a smaller one, just cause you know, you're gonna get a much more personal connection with that faculty member, right? So that if you're going up at the end of the semester and asking them that you do so with confidence that they have a full understanding of who you are, how you've contributed in the classroom, you know, things of that nature. Um, and so, you know, do do see if you can kind of figure out kind of what are those, what are those smaller classes versus what are those larger classes? The larger classes, they're not, they're no problem with them whatsoever, right? Um, it just may be that the faculty member doesn't know you as as personally well. Um, and so that's something to look for. You know, I think, you know, and, and for us, while we require kind of an academic letter recommendation, you know, with the veterans population, we have a lot of gray area here, right? And if you don't have that, it is not going to stop your application. We would happily accept a substitute from a supervisor or, or something of that nature. Um, because again, we're just trying to get across um, what I would just call like better information about who you are and how you interact, right? And that, you know, obviously we're interested in the academic environment, but if that's not the environment you've been in recently, the professional environment is also of value, right? And I look at the, you know, the experience that you're going to have in a college classroom compared to high school is way more collaborative, right? Um, you're going to be doing a lot more group oriented work because that's what the real world looks like. And, and, and I think, you know, for veterans, that's an environment that you're quite comfortable in where you have a history of performance and, and someone can talk about, you know, how you've led others, how you've motivated others, um, how you've perhaps adapted that style to work with 
you know, different individuals, right? Every group project in college is a new adventure, right? And so, um, you know, those are things that are, are very valuable to us, even if they're not coming from a, you know, a, a high school or a college faculty member. Yeah, and to that end, um, at Bowdoin, we actually require that one of your letters comes from someone in your chain of command, because what you're doing in the military is cultivating all those skills that are going to come out in a classroom, collaboration, overcoming obstacles, problem solving, interacting with leadership, right? Those are all the pieces that we would get out of a letter of recommendation from a high school teacher. That's what we're looking for the same pieces. And so you have those skills and that experience that's coming from your service. Um, so I do think, think big with your letter of recommendation, but if you're in a classroom, other than if you, this is your only opportunity to have an academic letter of support, I think you should be really thoughtful about whether or not that teacher or professor or graduate student knows you, because a letter of recommendation from an academic professional just saying this person was in my classroom and this is the grade that they got is information that we would have gotten from your transcript anyway. So who's going to be additive in your application? Who's going to add information that builds out that picture of who you were in that experience that's helpful in building out that picture for us in your application. I do want to add, um, and this is the one, one mistake I see people see, uh, make quite often, is don't ask them to write you a letter of recommendation because you think we will be impressed by who they are. Um, pick the person who knows you best, right? The worst letter of recommendation I ever received for an applicant was from a U.S. senator, and they were doing it, you know, out of constituent service or a favor. To, I don't know, but you could read it, and you knew that this person had not a clue who the student truly was, right? But that they thought that we would be impressed by it. But we're not. We're not trying to be impressed. We're trying to learn, and so we got to make sure that letter allows us to learn more about you. Yeah, and I have conversations all the time about this academic letter of recommendation, right? Because they're they're like, I haven't been in the classroom or I took all of my classes online. I never interacted with my professor. We get that quite a bit. Um, but I always remind them learning happens outside of the classroom. So who can speak to, you know, you working as a team, some of those same learning attributes that, you know, you, we put into a four wall classroom when you're sitting at your desk in your chair learning, right? What are some of those same skills that someone else could speak to um, either through your time in service or, you know, in the community. And that's where I remind them that this process, unfortunately, isn't built for the non-traditional, you know, quote unquote student. This process is essentially built for a high school student who has been in the classroom the last four years, right? It's it's pieced, you know, together for that environment. Um, so when you can't find the exact academic letter recommendation to reach out to you all, hey, here's my situation. Is it okay if I ask this person or I have this letter of recommendation? And almost 10 times out of 10, I've had applicants come back and say, hey, thanks for encouraging me to reach out. They said this one is fine, right? Um, and then when it's when it's not, that's when you have an opportunity to say, okay, well, what are some other things I can do? Is that when you go back to the classroom and a community college environment? Or is that really a school that you think is the 
best support in place for you, right? If they're already putting confines on the admissions process to set you aside, how is that going to make you feel as a student once you're on campus, right? And I think we are talking so much about being military inclusive instead of just military friendly and being military inclusive in the admissions process is the best indicator of what it's going to be like once you're on their campuses. So I love how open you're both being um, kind of with, you know, what our students can do to make this process a little bit more inclusive to them. Um, so as we begin to wrap up the conversation, um, I want to hear from both of you a little bit about like what makes a strong, if you were to give us like three, you know, takeaways, what makes a strong applicant for each of your institutions? So I'll, I'll jump in um, and then I might jump out and let Ryan jump in and then jump back in at the, on the backside. But so I think, you know, one of the things that's really important is understanding why do different institutions exist, right? What is their purpose, right? GW and Bowdoin are like complete opposites. And that's awesome, right? Because it allows you to think about which one do I best align with? Which one do I think I would best enjoy and succeed? Because quite honestly, enjoyment is linked to success, right? If you don't enjoy something, you're going to be less motivated. You're more likely, you know, to, to enter different cracks and things of that nature. And so for us, you know, we are an institution that in our founding documents talks about training future leaders. And therefore, we are looking for that leadership potential in addition to the academic success items, right? And so we're looking for that, that, you know, combination where we walk away from application and we say like, oh, I can definitely see how they're going to change the world in the future, right? And it may not be a certain topic area or things of that nature, but it's just the the raw ingredients of, you know, discipline, um, you know, ability to, to motivate and collaborate with others, um, the ability for someone to say, I'm not going to let obstacles stand in my way. Right. We're looking for some of those pieces. Um, and for every student, those pieces might look differently. But those are things we're looking for in conjunction with the more, you know, standardized transcripts, test scores, letters of recommendation. Um, and I think, again, going back into it, thinking about how do I, as an applicant, make sure that those things come across. Right. Um, and they can come across differently in different ways. Right. You know, you could be really strategic in how you pick who writes your letter of recommendation because you know that they might talk about this experience, right? Um, it's also okay for you to have a conversation with that person writing a letter of recommendation and perhaps remind them of things that were really important to you, but in a classroom of 30 students or so, maybe it was just one day for them, right? And and but if you jog their memory, they'll also kind of recognize, like, oh yeah, I, I definitely saw, you know how you face that obstacle and, and here are the things that you did to overcome it, right? Oftentimes, you know, we see with the, the high school population that they, they gravitate towards having someone write a letter of recommendation in whose class they did the best. And as Ryan said earlier, well, we know that because it's on the transcript that you got an A in that class. I'd rather see the letter of recommendation from the class where you got a B and you worked your tail off to get the B because that teacher is going to talk to us and, and give us the confidence like, yeah, you know, this was not easy for them. And they tried six different ways to try to adjust their learning style to overcome this. And, and they were able to persevere through because, you know, I think what we both know is that no matter what background you're coming from, college will be hard. 
and you will face obstacles you have not faced before. And what really matters is how do you choose to overcome them or not? Right. And, and giving a little bit of having some of those crumbs in the application that like, oh yeah, they've, they've faced, you know, obstacles before and gives us the confidence that when that, that happens, whether it happens in the first semester or in the last semester that, you know, you have the mindset and the willpower to, to come across. I'm not going to say that we're as different as you. I think very different experiences, but I think at the core college and approaching the search for college is finding a place where you find your values are reflected and enhanced by the experience. And so in that way, I think actually GW and Bowdoin have some crossover. I'm just going to be more inclusive in that. Um, I think when thinking about people who thrive at Bowdoin, um, we do go back to that value-based system. What kind of community member are you going to be? We, we, in sort of thinking about our founding documents, we were founded to serve the common good. And so it, it goes back to 1794, and we say that a Bowdoin education is not meant to be small, but meant to be big, and it's meant to be impactful. So what impact are you going to make with your Bowdoin education? And the neat part about that is that for every student who comes in here, the common good looks different because it's specific to their goals. And that's what we look for in the conversation. What are your goals? How are you going to interact with the common good? What do you want from your education? What do you see your role in this world being? Are you going to be a teacher? Are you going to be um, the person who solves the climate crisis? There's not one person who's going to solve that, to be clear. But are you going to participate? Um, and, and we think about that community role. We are a liberal arts college, living and learning community. This is your home for four years. Um, are you curious? Are you gonna take intellectual risks? Are you gonna put, push yourself outside of the comfort zone? Um, and I think being really open-minded about the people's, the, the people you interact with, the way that you learn, those are values that you can express in so many different ways. And sort of going back to the, start of the conversation, they're not values that come through in a test score. They are values that come through in your essay, your letters of recommendation, the way you talk about your time in the service, the way you talk about your goals, the way that you interact with people. That's so interesting. And there are so many ways to stand out because of who you are now. And I think the best piece of advice I have as you go through your application and college search process is to be really reflective and to be really honest and authentic. We are not bringing your application to our campuses. We are bringing you and you matter in this whole journey. So stay true to who you are because that will shine through in your application. And those are the people who land at our schools and make a huge difference. Ben, you said you were gonna jump back in on the tail end. Anything there to add? Well, I, I think, um, you know, Ryan actually said this really well earlier which is recognizing how much power you have in this process, right? You get to choose where you apply to. You get to choose where you go to. I think when you're in the seat, you feel like you have no power whatsoever. Um, and, and you're trying to look at, you know, these different requirements and you're, you're, you've got self-doubt and things of that nature. And, and again, just take a moment to back up and say, oh, wait, I have a lot of power here. And, and in fact, I think for both our institutions, our, our decision to go test optional was a conscious choice to give you actually a little bit more power in this process about how am I viewed, how am I judged um, through this process. I think both our institutions are confident that 
we can make the right admissions decisions whether testing exists or not. Um, and therefore, let's let, let you as an applicant have a little bit more say in how you present yourself to us, right? So, you know, again, in the moment, I know, you know, we can, we can have a quite a, a narrow focus of just, I got to do these requirements, I got to fulfill these different things, but just recognizing that we're trying to design this process. So you, you actually have a little bit more power. Um, and, and quite honestly, you know, your choice of where to submit your application is the most powerful thing that you have. And I, I just want to take that soundbite and let that be like what we trail out with. Um, that was, I mean, you all just basically gave a masterclass and, you know, how to be um, reflective in this process. And just what we, you know, really encourage our applicants to do is to be mindful and why they're submitting an application and where they're applying instead of just, I use the analogy of like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? Like you have to then immerse yourself into this community, into your academics. And is that where you're going to thrive? Not just, you know, where you're going to graduate from and have that name as your alma mater and your resume, like where can you truly go and make an impact on the community, but also on yourself. And you all just, I mean, wrapped that up into a present and gave it to our listeners as like what they should do to be successful in this process. Um, so any last parting advice for our listeners about applying to colleges or considering applying test optional? I would say, I mean, I think as a society and culture, we, we over emphasize some of this college application process or a lot of the college application process. And there's a little bit too much, like you can't fall in love. Right. I think one of the, you know, one of the lessons of the college application process is that life is sometimes unpredictable and, 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 and therefore, as you go through this way, you know, you, you are allowed to have your top choices of the places that you're applying to. Um, but I think, you know, when you talk to people, 15, 20 years after they've graduated, they can't even tell you what their top choice was when they went through the process because they end up somewhere and they have a fantastic experience and they go on to have an impactful life, right? And so some of these decisions won't go your way. That's okay. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're allowed to be sad in the moment, but the reality is you just turn the page and say, okay, well, what's, what's more in front of me, right? And, and how do I go forward from there? And, you know, be able to go forward and just have confidence that you're going to knock it out of the park at whatever school is, is willing to, to offer you that letter of acceptance. I don't want to follow that with something that is much more like pragmatic because it's such a good, uh, really thoughtful approach to apply to college, but mine is much more pragmatic anyway. Um, and that's to say, Hopefully throughout all of this, you can hear how much attention and work we put into this process to support you. So when you have questions, reach out to us. We have real human beings who are here answering, thinking about ways that we can help you, connecting you to different organizations across campus. I'm not our expert on the yellow ribbon program or financial aid or the GI bill. I can connect you to someone who's going to answer very specific nuanced questions that are personal to you. So we are here to help. Please don't think of us as the barrier. Think of us as a resource um, because we're in this, we're in this field, not for the pay, but for the love of the work. Oh, important. Thanks so much for that reminder, Ryan. 
Um, well, y'all, thank you so much for the conversation today. I know our listeners are probably going to listen to it several times as they you know, either begin this process or they're in the weeds of applying. Um, but thank you both so much, Ben, Ryan. It's been a absolute pleasure to be able to connect with both of you around, you know, college admissions and test optional landscape. So I appreciate you both and look forward to further conversations about how we can better support our student veterans. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, again, I think as Ryan said, we just want to be here to help. So, you know, the, the only way we can do that is if you guys reach out and, and have a conversation with us. Absolutely. Well, thanks y'all. That's it for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more service to school stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, the Director of Student Success, and produced by Amanda DeBias, the Director of Communication at Service to School. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next time and follow us for more on all of your favorite social media platforms.